everybody, welcome back to the Diversity in Tech Leaders podcast with me, Jess Sutcliffe at Coltech. Um, as you well know by now, if you've, you've tuned into the podcast, we aim to speak with tech leaders across the US that have uh, experience and also a real passion for DEI within the tech industry um, and how we can go about navigating that to make it a little bit better for everyone. So today we have got the amazing AJ Yawn, who is a CEO and founder of ByteCheck, making compliance success. So I will leave the floor to you to introduce yourself, AJ. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you give us a little bit of introduction to you and a bit um, of information about ByteCheck? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me on, Jessica. I'm excited about the conversation. Uh, I'm AJ Yan. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of ByteCheck, and ByteCheck is a cybersecurity compliance automation company. We help other companies prove that they're secure to, to their customers and their prospects that allow them to help them grow their business. And we built a really cool platform to do it. Uh, I've been in the cybersecurity industry for a little over a decade, did some time in the U.S. Army as an Army officer, um, then did some cybersecurity compliance consulting for a few years where I helped grow a team from nine of us to well over 130. Uh, and then, you know, decided to start bite check in the middle of a global pandemic and uh, have been having a whole lot of fun since. Why not? If life isn't hard enough already, start a start a start a company in the pandemic, and when we're about to go into a recession, even better. Right. <laughs> uh, touch wood that that doesn't happen, but it's looking that way. Um, but yeah, thank you again for joining us. Um, obviously, you've given us a little bit of a, a brief insight into your background to get into the tech industry. Um, obviously, being in the army as well, I can imagine that was quite a jump. Um, can you give us a little bit of background? on your journey into the tech world and how you ended up find, finding ByteCheck? Yeah, for me, it really did start in the military. I um, commissioned as an officer and as part of the commissioning process, you you get to kind of put your potential job choices. And uh, my father is a Marine uh, and he encouraged me to, to try to get into tech in the military. He was like, whether you stay in the military for 20 years or five years, like that will be something that helps you transition out well, which was a, a great piece of advice by him. And I'm really grateful that uh, he, he told me that. And in the military, you know, I've worked with a lot of did a lot of tech related things and I put those in air quotes because I had a battalion commander that told me if it plugs in, it's my responsibility. Uh, so I would fix everything from, you know, setting up our secret networks for us to communicate, to fixing someone's email, to maybe fixing their iPad, to fixing a light, um, a wide range of, of things. And, and I was in a, in a artillery unit which our missiles were controlled by radios, uh, which which I had to control and set up and make sure that they can communicate. Um, so really my first kind of step into tech was in the military, but it wasn't really the tech I deal with now, uh, cloud computing and, and all of the cool advanced stuff that we see in the commercial sector. The military didn't really have that. Um, and when I got out, I landed at this really big um, consulting firm and we were working with companies from startups to Fortune 100 companies and getting exposed to all of that, all of the different companies and the technologies they use really like piqued my interest um, and, and kind of created this obsession with cloud security and cloud. Uh, and I started really diving deep into the cloud and, and um, really carved out my path, but started in the military and then I got out and I realized there was such a huge opportunity for me personally and professionally in this field uh, and decided to go all in on it and, uh, and study as much as I can and, and grow as much as I can. And I felt strong enough after those three and a half years there uh, that I had enough domain expertise from my time in the military, from my time at this firm to go out and start a company and, and build something special. Amazing. And what made you want to start Bite Check? 
Yeah, really two reasons. One, um, uh, capitalistic. I saw there was a huge opportunity. Uh, yeah. I uh, Compliance is one of those things where people are paying a lot of money uh, to comply, um, and it's a manual process, and, it's, and a lot of people are wasting time, and I thought there was an opportunity to bring software uh, to the solution and, and help companies uh, achieve all their compliance goals without the manual nature of what we are doing. Um, and selfishly, I'm a little, I'm a little lazy, so I like to automate oh, things. Me too. I like, <laughs> whenever I can take away steps, I, I'm excited about that. So um, definitely was was I, I didn't want to do manual assessments anymore. Um, but the other aspect was even though I achieved a lot of success there, I was making more money than I could ever dream of than anybody in my family has ever made. I still wasn't fulfilled. Uh, I didn't feel that general sense of, of fulfillment that I felt in the military, you know, that selfless service, doing something bigger than myself. And I realized as well that even though I was in a leadership position, even though I was in a really strong position, I had no control over hiring um, and and actually bringing in diverse folks into the company. Um, I was able to like recommend people. I was able to like make hiring decisions, but somehow, some way, every time I tried to hire someone that you know came from a non traditional background or whatever it may be, they didn't make it through. Um, and I and I realized that if I wanted to change you know, the, the world, so to speak, uh, and make a difference, it, it wasn't going to be in a system that was designed not for us, um, not for people that look like me. Um, for those listening, I am a black man. Um, but uh, it, uh, so, so part of it was like, I knew if I wanted to make the change that I wanted and have the impact that I wanted and, and have that same sense of fulfillment, it wasn't going to be money that did that for me. It wasn't going to be a title that did that for me. It was going to be me truly doing something that required sacrifice and, and allowed me to operate and move the way that I wanted to and thought the industry could. 100%. And I think um, anybody who is a minority within the workspace has probably felt at some point that one, they want more people there that either look like them or come from a similar background to them or even just a bit more diversity of thought. So you've got people in there that, you know, can provide a little bit more than what you're getting. Um, but I guess that leads quite nicely onto the next question, because obviously, you, you know, you've got your own company where you're, you can do what you want now, which is great. Um, so how have you actually been able to incorporate diversity into the company and what approach do you take to hiring? Yeah, so first and foremost, I think um, my experience as a black founder, um, as a black man in tech, uh, I make sure that I am very clear about it to the team um, in my personal brand that this is a different experience than than other folks. And it's not that I, I think it makes me better than anyone, but I have to acknowledge that uh, my experience is not the same and similar to other folks in the industry, their experience is not the same and, and bringing light to that. Uh, I used to be a big believer in, in positions that didn't matter, or job titles that didn't matter, it didn't really matter what you call yourself. And I personally think I have the most uh, um, useless when it comes to like, I didn't earn the current job title I had. I just woke up one day and called myself a CEO. So like, it doesn't mean really anything, but I understand like to the outside, if I'm communicating about certain things in the industry and talking about the experience as a black man in tech, it means something. Um, and it and it helps it helps change and and it start a conversation. Um, so that's the first thing is just me not hiding away from the experience as being black in tech and making sure that I'm very clear and authentic about it. Um, from a bite check standpoint, it's really you know two uh, two or three core things that we have done. Um, the first is we have hired uh, folks from diverse backgrounds, folks that from non traditional backgrounds, uh, people with zero experience in cybersecurity into roles, and they have 
far exceeded all expectations. Um, and and I think it takes companies, whether you're a startup or a big company, in order for us to solve this cybersecurity skills gap, we got to take chances on people. We got to actually try to get other people into this industry that didn't go to a four-year school, didn't do um, whatever boot camp or training, whatever it may be, don't know how to program, and you just you 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 bet on them, you bet on the human, and you train them and you invest in them. And I think we've been very successful at that. We have people that are still here at Bycheck. Um, that started out as interns with no experience. And we have others that started out as interns here and are now making more money than they ever dreamed of in their life at other companies um, and have been able to change the trajectory of their families, um, their, 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 their future trajectory as well. And I think that's a part of, you know, doing this. The other aspect is like as we are hiring, as we're growing the team, you know, after raising that seed round, um, we have a rule uh, that you can we cannot close a hiring process until a diverse candidate was interviewed. Um, diverse candidates have to be in the pipeline for every role, no matter what. Um, and then we track diversity metrics at the leadership level, at, at overall at the team level, um, specifically in certain fields. So like in engineering, it's 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 common that engineering is a male dominated um a field yep. so we make sure that we uh look at the stats across the industry whether that's an engineering whether that's women in leadership whether that's just black people in tech and we say we want to be better than what the industry averages are and if yeah. every company decides to be better than the industry averages the averages go up and then we just keep yeah. doing that until we get to a more equitable place so those are two things two or three things that we do here that you know i hope can shift the narrative but i understand that um, we're a small company. We're not going to change. We're not going to be able to hire everyone. We're not going to be able to change the world. But I hope we can show that you can have the uh, business success while still hiring uh, diverse candidates and, and going about it the way that we are. Absolutely. And I love that you were talking there about taking chances on people. As somebody who works in the staffing industry and with my, let's say, specialty, I say in inverted commas, being around DEI and making sure that you've got pipeline from candidates from all backgrounds. Um, especially when you get to the senior levels, they're expecting, yep, let's get, you know, a diverse range of candidates. And it's not as easy to find diverse candidates at more senior levels because right. they're not getting given the chances to get there. So it's at some point, somebody has to give these people a chance to start in and build their skills up to a place where, you know, they can be the leaders of the, the next generation. Um, exactly. It's got to be a, a case where companies can invest in these people. Um, you know, it's all, all well and me, good me absolutely breaking my back to search high and low for these people but it's not always as as feasible as that or if they're in a company you know it's it's very hard for a minority in the tech industry to find a company and feel like they really belong there um so trying to pull them out of that role as well wish me luck Might, <laughs> it, it just won't happen um but yeah i think actually because i contacted you i came across your profile um i don't i can't remember how i did but i saw you know the first sentence on your your bio black lives matter i was like yes <laughs> I hope he wants to come on the podcast so yeah I think I love that you know you're so authentic about it and I think it is important um especially when you're hiring you know from from the diversity side of things it comes from the CEO down um Devaris you know Devaris Dirt, yeah he he mentioned that on the podcast if your CEO isn't your chief diversity officer you've already you've already lost you it's not gonna it's not gonna happen um so in terms of the importance of diversity, why, in your opinion, would you say that it's important to build about uh, build diverse workforces? Um, I think uh, for a few reasons. You know, one is that uh, it's you you shouldn't be running a company that's not reflective of 
society. Uh, and I think in tech, the numbers of black people in America, if we just talk about America specifically, don't match up with the number of black people in tech. There's a big difference between those two things. And as we think about salaries, as we think about uh, the generational wealth that's generated from tech companies, there is, in my opinion, a direct correlation between the wealth gap in America, um, between black families and white families, and the lack of minorities in tech. Um, mm -hmm. Because tech is a place that if a young kid fresh out of college is able to get in, get at an early stage startup, that entire family's life is changed forever, um, generationally. Yeah. Like the next two generations are set up for success and they're put into schools, into positions that change everything. Uh, and I think about it often with my kids that they now are going to know so much more because I was able to get in. I was able to to get to this state, and I and I think uh, that's why it's important. Like for us to fix a lot of these socioeconomic issues in America, it really starts with the economics. Unfortunately, um, it's hard to tell someone to go to school or to uh, save money if they don't have any money. If they're going, yeah. if they're living paycheck to paycheck, it's it's you you, you got to choose between put a hundred dollars away in savings or get food for your family. You're going to choose food every time. Uh, so I think getting more diverse people in tech is something that will help society, something that will um, help, uh, you know, close that median um, wealth gap here in the States. The other aspect is like, we have a cyber skills shortage. Cybersecurity is really, really difficult. Um, breaches are going up. What we're doing isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> Hiring the same people from the same places with the same backgrounds. It's just not working. We're not going to fill this gap. We're not going to have a diversity of opinion in the room to do things differently, to approach situations differently by just doing the same stuff. So I, I think all cyber leaders have to kind of look themselves in the face and say, hey, like this model that we're currently doing is not working. We need to figure out a different way uh, to do this. And I think the only way you're going to be able to solve this problem is by hiring more diverse folks. And I, and I don't think it's a pipeline problem either. I, I think the challenge is that companies generally look in the same places. Uh, they, they generally look at the same schools or the same boot camps, whatever it may be. Instead, of, you know, there's historically black colleges and universities here um, in America, uh, a lot of them with, with people that are uh, very talented and very educated. But you go to those job fairs, you don't see the same companies you'll see at a job fair for a different school. Uh, and it's just a matter of us looking in the right places. So I, I think, it, you know, from a society perspective, it's super important. But just from a cybersecurity perspective in the industry, like we got to do something like we've been talking about this skill shortage for so many years now, like the way we do it currently is not going to keep working. And we're going to continue to have these gaps unless we change the way we hire. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, where you were speaking there about I think it's about 80 percent that don't count me on this I saw this on a, an article some somewhere um 80 percent of jobs are filled through people's networks so mm -hmm. if you're going to your same network you're going to be getting the same results you need to be able to access rooms that you don't have the door to get into um and whether that's through you know finding other people that can or hiring diverse candidates that do have that access to the network that you won't have direct access to is so important um because once once you're in there it's so much easier uh yeah. you know once you join these groups join the networks have a research of where what companies you can join or what uh there's so so many obviously with me concentrating purely on dei i've joined so many networks that advocate for minorities to get within the tech space and sort of excel within there once you're in there it's so much easier to find them yeah. um so yeah and obviously 
the social uh, economic status of underrepresented communities, especially um, minorities, black women, black men within the US. Like you say, it's just a, a constant cycle um, and not even just a, a matter of, you know, getting into tech and it being a choice of, you know, learning or getting food. But, you know, tech is not cheap at all. You know, even computers, whatever the case is, these aren't cheap um, items that you need to buy to be able to learn these 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 skill sets to be successful and get into a position of, of power where, you, you know, you can change that generational wealth. Um, so obviously we've mentioned you know you're a black founder and you from what you've said so far i imagine there's been a little bit of uh, some struggles raising you know the company to where it is now what have you what problems have you faced and how have you overcome them yeah i mean i think the uh hardest thing as a black founder is um being taken seriously uh, by yeah. investors, by customers, prospects, whatever it may be, and and that's been the struggle. Is is you kind of look and see like there's uh, two companies uh, that are at the same stage, kind of similar state, and for some reason one looks more immature than others, um, and the only difference really is the black founder, uh, and that happens often um, for us. But I mean, the hardest thing uh, for me is not necessarily building the company because building a startup is hard regardless uh it's the it's the funding you know being a startup um vc funding is fuel um but less than one percent of vc funding goes to black founders uh so you know there's uh the the odds are stacked against me when it comes to that uh to raising money and it and it and it's pretty clear when i start having these conversations with vcs like the excuses that come up the things that uh folks say it's just not um you know, it's it's reflective of the current state. So I think that's the the challenge. And for me, I just keep going. Like I I acknowledge that rejection is a part of this. Um, being told no, like I'm not going to be a part of the one percent that uh, continues to receive VC funding um, by people saying yes. Like there's a reason that's only it's less than one percent. So I go into it understanding that like hey, like you're going to have to get a lot of no's before this turns to a yes. And in our seed round, you know, I, I got through 53 no's before I was able even to like have a conversation with someone um, to, yeah. to even get to that next level to, to actually want them to invest in the company. Um, so it's it's you just have to go into it with the mentality of. I know this is going to be I'm, I'm climbing up a path that was not built for me um, and, you know, of the billions of dollars that are poured into companies very tiny percentage are going to black founders and you and you just you just understand that and acknowledge it um and keep going but it's tough you know it's tough because you're, there's a lot of doubt uh that creeps in because you're you think like can i do this um, am i going to be able to actually uh raise this money to keep the company going to keep us well capitalized because the odds are stacked against you uh and um it also is tough at times because you, I felt during the round that I had to spend way too much time explaining who I was um, in yeah. the background versus talking about the business. And I'm like, hey, like I built a pretty cool business, like cool product, would love to talk about that. Would love to not talk about why I went to a certain school or my background or whatever it may be because most of the time VCs are pattern matching. They're looking for certain schools, certain backgrounds, certain jobs beforehand. And I really miss like all of the patterns that people normally would check. Like I former athlete, military, like not a traditional software engineer. Like I I know 
some programming stuff, but I, if you told me today to go like build a program with, with writing code, I can't do that. Like, and, and I'm the CEO of a software company. Um, so I miss a lot of the checkbox that people go to. And then on top of that, you add that I'm black. Um, and it's, and it's just like, you know, the odds are stacked and, and going into it, you know, it, um, and you, as a, as a black founder, what I would say is seek out, don't waste your time meeting with investors that you can look at their portfolio and know who they invest in. Um, yeah. if, they, if they haven't invested in a black founder, don't take the meeting. Um, it's chances are they're not going to invest in you. Uh, and, and that's just uh, a rule I've, I've, I've started to abide by because during the seed round, I wasted a lot of time talking to people that, and I'll give you an example of one uh, to kind of highlight this. I, I met with the VC fund. Um, their thesis was they invest in former military officers and former student athletes. And I was like, amazing. It's, you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, like this is the perfect hit the jackpot. <laughs> yeah, like this is going to be great. You know, conversations were rolling. They flew down to Miami. We're doing lunches. We're doing diligence. Like everything's going. I'm like, wow, this was actually pretty easy. I found my tribe. I found the people that would invest in me. And then I find out that they weren't investing. And they told me because we don't necessarily fit their thesis. And I was like, wow, like your thesis seems pretty clear. Um, I checked the boxes that are on your headline on your website. Um, but then I went to go look at the portfolio companies. I said, oh, right. that's the thesis I don't make. I don't look like the rest of your founders. I don't look like anyone on your investment team. Um, so you weren't going to invest in me no matter what. Like you you were checking the box maybe for, for whatever diversity metrics you needed to have in your pipeline, but you weren't actually going to invest in me. And I think that really shined and, and turned my mindset to say like, all right, like you got to make sure you're spending time with people that actually will invest in you. Um, and then, and I was fortunate to raise the 3 million from 82% of our investors are either black led funds or black angels. Um, and, and when you start to do that, like it, it becomes easier. So I'll tell any black founder that's listening to this, like find your tribe, like make sure you're talking to people that actually invest in us um, and then spend your time with them. <laughs> Don't waste your time with the others who are just going to waste your time. Yeah, absolutely. Did you did you say anything to them about not fitting the the tribe, if you will? Um, I. Uh, I mean, you don't have to say this on here. I know that's a bit of a personal. Yeah, yeah. One. No, I pushed back. <laughs> I pushed back, and I just was like, you know, this seems disingenuous. Like, and I, and I mean, I've had other. I've had recently a VC turn turn us down on our recent fundraise by their executive assistant emailing my executive assistant. Um. And I'm just like, you know, the the level of disrespect at times uh, to to me is, and and I and when I when that happens, I do speak up and I do say something back, and I and I let them know that like it's it, it's don't do this to other people, you know, like just if you if you're gonna say no, say no to me directly. If you're gonna say no, like don't make up a reason that truly doesn't make sense when I check all the boxes um, that fit your thesis. Um, so yeah, I did say something because it's a blessing and curse of mine actually that uh i can't hold my tongue and i can't oh i feel you on that anything. i'm exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> it like it bothered it, like it, sometimes i'm like you know what it's good because i get it out but then other times like maybe you didn't have to say that maybe you could have held back i mean do you know what i i always think that after i've said something to be honest but then I, i've never regretted saying well probably have but <laughs> more often than not I've not regretted speaking about something that I don't think is right because at the end of the day even if you spark a little bit of thought in their mind as to why they shouldn't be doing that that or behaving like that I think it's really important because moving forward they might think differently on the next one that you know they potentially reject or something but I think as well you know you speaking about the 
it not just being straightforward is really important because often people come on you know these podcasts any podcast really and discuss all the 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 pros and the successes and everything but in reality that's not the case especially for minority owned businesses because it's not a simple straightforward path you've got a few hurdles that you might need to overcome like you said it's it's a sad fact that you've got to try and explain yourself and who you are and the processes that you've taken to be able to get where you are today before you even try and explain what amazing company you've built um it's a bit ridiculous but you know those kind of advice can hopefully really help people um so obviously you've been in leadership for a while now um how would you describe your leadership style and what advice would you give to somebody from an underrepresented group hoping to progress into a leadership role yeah i think um i would describe it as empathetic and authentic uh i are one of our core values at bite check is our first core value is people first um and, and everything i do as i talk to folks is just about them as a human it's it's like i don't um, make decisions based off of the business i want to make sure that you're good as a human first and i really think about the other person um, um and then authenticity i think by me being authentic by me saying like hey i'm struggling right now mentally or um I am my son is home from school, so I'm going to be slow to respond like and, and and just normalizing that I also am a human as a leader. It makes everybody else underneath me um, be comfortable to be humans as well. Uh, and I would tell and and then also like, you know, other, other underrepresented people at the company, they see that like, wow, AJ is actually like acting like himself. Like he listens to the music we listen to, he wears the shoes, says all the things, like talks and communicates. He's not um, what we, you know, code switching is, is something that happens oftentimes um, for black people where they have to like turn on their corporate persona <laughs> and have their other persona outside of work. And I used to do it in the past, like in the army, you really have to do it. But even in corporate America before bite check, I would do it. I would be a different person at work versus in the things I would wear at work. There's no chance you would ever see me wear those things in real <laughs> life. Like it's just not, not, would not happen. Um, so uh, <clears throat> it's, um, uh, it's being authentic and it allows other people to be authentic and allows other people to, um, uh, to be themselves. And I think as a leader, as an underrepresented leader, the worst thing you can do is portray this 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 different persona um, because what you're going to do is it's going to eat you alive that you're not being yourself um, and and I know that feeling of when I don't feel like I'm being myself it eats me alive um, but you're going to create a culture where everybody else is being fake too uh, yeah. and, and now you don't know who anybody is that you work with. <laughs> <laughs> you all are just playing a game um, so you know and and I I think leadership the the main thing that one of the things i'm really grateful for was starting my career in the army is i learned how to be a leader before i learned about tech i was a 23 year old fresh out of college fresh out of college basketball so i was kind of feeling myself at the time and <laughs> i show up to a unit and i have 18 soldiers that i'm responsible for one of them was 37 years old who had four deployments under his belt and i'm now his boss um, and then we deployed like two months later uh, so it's like, all right, you you got to grow up fast and become a leader and understand what leadership is. And a lot of the scars that I have in my leadership philosophy and style came from those early days. But it, I realized that empathy was the most important thing as a leader uh, is, is putting myself in the other person's shoes, whether they did something good or bad, of truly understanding where they're at in their life. And when you do that, uh, people are loyal to you. People will work super hard for you. People will 
um, supports you as well when you truly care about them as a human. Um, and I think any underrepresented uh, leader needs to make sure that they're being as authentic as they can. Uh, there's way too many people that are trying to break into this field that feel like they can't be themselves. And if they see leaders being themselves, it it just releases all of this pressure and allows people to uh, to really grow. And I, and I think every leader has three responsibilities for their direct reports. Uh, they should provide purpose, direction, and motivation. Um, and, if, and if you give folks that, they will go out and do whatever they need. Um, but people need to know why they're doing something. They need to know where they're going and they need to be motivated to do it. And, and, and not everybody's motivated by the same thing. Some people it's pay, exactly. some people it's time off, some people it's recognition, some people it's titles. And you have to really understand like, what is this motive, what motivates this person, not what motivates my company, because it's an individual thing. Uh, and understanding that it puts you in a great position as a leader, um, and now you can go out and um, uh, and have your people work really hard and do great things and they feel fulfilled, but you as a leader also will feel good too. Absolutely. I mean, I was super picky with companies that I was joining when I was looking for a new job. And um, my boss, he he's great and very much, um, I would say, he might disagree with this, but um, has a very similar mindset to you in terms of being he's super empathetic super encouraging and motivating um and so authentic i remember sort of in the interview i don't even think i he interviewed me really i was more interviewing him um but he was so authentic with the answers you know it was still in the start phase we're still sort of in in startup mode um but he was so authentic with his answers. If he didn't know something, he'd be like, not going to lie, we're probably going to make it up in a few weeks. So, uh, and I love that because especially in recruitment and any corporate company in general, you come across a lot of people that are going to tell you what you want to hear as opposed to actually be realistic with you. And especially I think it's important what you were saying about mental health, um, especially within um, obviously men from statistics talk a lot less about it and black men even more so so you know coming from you if you're struggling mentally and you're just like look I might need a bit of time so you'll, I'll you know get back to you when I can when I'm okay um, that sets such a good role model and uh, example for people that you know might be struggling who haven't had that example growing up or around them or in companies before um so yeah, obviously I think um, you're quite similar to us. You've got a four-day work week, right? Yep. Which is pretty cool. I'm off tomorrow, are you? Oh, you won't be. You're CEO, I doubt you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, you know, my Fridays are, they're peaceful, I'll tell you that. I don't have a ton of calls, but, um, well, sometimes I do. <laughs> but uh, it allows me to get some stuff done. But um, yeah, we went to a four-day work week and the idea is that two things, one, as humans, as adults, most of the stuff that you have to do is Monday through Friday. Uh, so if you go to the doctor, if your kid has an appointment, if you need to get something, go to the mail, post office, whatever it may be, you're going to do it during work hours, uh, Monday yeah. through Friday, because that's the only time those places are open. <laughs> so part of me is like, I'd rather folks actually work for the time that they're working and then have time and space to do the things that they that they need to do and want to do and, and have the freedom to think about those things on Friday the other aspect is that the studies have came out that the, in an eight-hour workday, people actually only work about two hours and 50 minutes of that workday oh, um, wow. because of all of the, the distractions, all of the emails, yeah. the notifications, the conversations in the office, The um, if you're at working at home, you go get lunch, you go walk the dog, all these other things, right? So like people aren't even working 40 hours. Uh, <laughs> no, no one's working 40 hours a week anyways. 
And my thought process was that a focused 32 hours, actually locking in for 32 hours a week is going to get us so much more than the unfocused 40. I don't think there is that big of a difference in those extra eight hours um, because people aren't using them anyways. Uh, so we really preach deep work. We really preach focus here of just locking in and not worrying about the outside noise and getting stuff done. Um, which allows us to feel comfortable taking off the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and you know, working five days a week for two days off, like the math never made sense. Um, so I think, you know, this makes more sense for us as humans, uh, especially in America. I think in Europe, folks do a little bit of a better job at it, but Americans take their jobs way too seriously. Yeah. And they never sure. take vacation. Um, and then when they yeah. do take vacation, they work on vacation. Um, and I just think it's silly. Like, I love what we're building Obviously, I bet everything on bite check and and making sure that this uh, works out. However, like it's not th that important. Like I am more important as a human than what I do for a living. My kids, I have a six year old and a four year old. They know what bite check is. Like if they see my hat or the logo, they'll say, "Oh, bite check." But they don't care. They don't care <laughs> if I raise VC money. They don't care if we sign this customer. They don't care about any of that. They they want me to play with them. They want me to do Legos. They want me to spend time with them. Um, me as a human, you talked about mental health. My mental health is always going to be more important than this company. Um, yeah. Me taking time for myself, me taking these digital breaks that I take on a daily basis, um, meditating, all of that, that's always going to take more precedent over bite check. And the four day work week is a reflection of that, that I think us as humans are more important than what we do for a living. And, and you know, oftentimes you ask somebody like, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, they immediately respond is work. They say, oh, you know, going well, you know, I've been working hard or had to really just had a promotion. And then, and that's not how you are doing. <laughs> that's yeah. how work I mean, that's actually how our conversation started today. I was like, it's, uh, you know, yeah. it's before 9 a.m. And I've had a, I can't, I'm not going to curse on the podcast, but it's not been a good day already. Yeah. So yeah, 100% agree with that. You're making me want to work for Bite Check now. We raise this round, we'll have to have a discussion. <laughs> we'll need a recruiter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and I think even in terms of that, making sure that your staff know they are appreciated, they're going to work harder. I definitely do at this company than I have done previously because I know I'm appreciated, my time's appreciated. I, I even work on Fridays a lot of the time because I've got stuff to do or I might have a meeting that I've been trying to get in with somebody for ages but knowing that I don't have to work and they appreciate my life above you know what I can uh be doing every single day is something that is very important and people work hard and reflect that within within that what they're doing for the company as well um I'm conscious we've got about five minutes so I'll skip to the next question um obviously we've spoken about what you do personally and what you've seen people do um to encourage more diversity inclusion in the workspace what do you think the tech industry should be doing as a whole to be able to increase that um i think we should be holding ourselves accountable uh, i think companies should hold themselves accountable the industry as a whole should hold each other accountable and anytime people are making promises even even me saying the diverse candidate thing um in, in in our hiring process like someone should ask me a year from now like hey how'd that work are you doing that like did you do that like do you have any information to prove that you're doing it because uh, two years ago in the wake of george floyd's murder a lot of corporations promised a lot of things mm -hmm. uh, but there hasn't really been this actually result of it um that, yeah. that stuff hasn't actually happened um so 
Uh, I would say accountability is really important. And like, we have to take a sober look at these stats um, that, are, that are very clear. Um, and you can kind of look and you don't have to do the whole industry. Just look at the big top tech companies. Look at the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the the Fang companies as they're, as they're called, or Mang now, I guess, since Facebook's meta. meta. Um, and look at their stats and ask yourself, is, is that what you want the industry to be reflective of? And if the answer is no, um, then you immediately go out and start doing stuff and, and taking action. Um, and I would love to see um, a commitment from companies to make sure they have a diverse. I think the number one way we solve this problem is do not close a hiring process until you have interviewed a diverse candidate. Um, make sure that you have actually got somebody in the pipeline, because what will happen is even if you don't hire that person, you now have established a new pipeline of people. You now yeah. know where to get that person. You know where to find those type of people. Other people know about it. And if you treat people with respect during the interview process, they're going to tell others about you. They're going to remember your process. Like there's going to be people that there's been people that applied for jobs at Bite Check that we unfortunately weren't able to hire for whatever reason. And they still hit me up all the time. Like whenever there's an opportunity, whenever there's an opportunity, yeah. because we treated them with respect during it. So um, doing that will open up these pipelines and show people that these folks actually exist. So I think accountability is huge for the tech industry as a whole. Yeah, and even if they're not right now, a couple of years down the line, they might have the perfect skill set and they might have experience that you are looking for. So it's not worth closing those doors. And I think, you know, this assumption that, well, it's not even an assumption, but, you know, people always queer, well, not always, a few people query that mindset to it. and But that comes, for me, I hear that as an assumption that the diverse candidate isn't actually qualified for the job which is not correct. Right. Um, the assumption that, you know, oh, you have to interview a diverse candidate for your pipeline. They could be the perfect person for the job. They, they could be actually the most qualified person for the exactly. job. So you need to, the, that mindset needs to be shifted, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, back to bite check. What are your plans for the future? Obviously, you, you've got an exciting future ahead, Touchwood. So tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, with us, we're really trying to disrupt an antiquated industry um, filled with auditors and suits and spreadsheets and document requests. Um, so the future is that uh, that no longer exists. Uh, nobody is doing a manual compliance assessment. We, I don't think anyone should. I think I don't think they're useful either. Uh, so that's the future. You know, we're going to go out and raise some more money uh, here soon. So if any VCs are listening to this and you're interested in uh, investing in a B2B SaaS company that's growing pretty rapidly, uh, you know, give us a, give me a ring, give me a shout, uh, and I'll, I'd love to talk to you. But you know, it's and and continuing to be an example. I have a a vision, and I'm very clear on it that we're going to be a billion dollar company. Um, but we're going to yes. be a billion dollar company that people look back that helped us get there and say that was the best time of my life. Those were the best four or five years of my life of building Bite Check. Not where you hear oftentimes with tech companies of, yeah, we had a lot of success, but that was the worst time of my life. Like I. I uh, had to work every day, my work-life balance, like my relationships are all over, like, and I don't want nobody to have that. I want people to look back at this time of their life as the greatest time of their lives personally and professionally. Um, and that's the goal. I love that because often people don't actually come out with those that kind of answer. It's usually, oh, we want this for the company, we want this for the company, yeah. but you're actually... You can tell the people that you work with mean a lot to you as well, which I absolutely love. And you want them to, you know, like like you said, look back in 10, 15 years time and be like, that was the best time of my life. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, AJ, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Um, if you had one final message to leave with the listeners, what would that be? Uh, protect your mental health. 
nothing you will do will be important unless you are right personally um, and you're right between your eyes and, and do the things necessary to do that, whether that's taking breaks, meditating. I encourage all men to go to therapy. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and yes. just remember that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Um, it's okay to be a little depressed. It's okay to wake up sad. It's okay to have anxiety. Those are normal emotions. Don't beat yourself up for them. Um, and, and really, you know, I encourage anyone that uh, has been going through things like just like do things to protect yourself mentally because it is um, extremely important. You know, you can't do you can't achieve anything in this world without protecting yourself. Yeah, love that. And uh, to be honest, actually, this conversation has turned my idea around a little bit more positive now. So I'm glad we've done it. <laughs> um, but thanks again, AJ. All the best. We're definitely excited to see what you do at Bike Check here at Coltex. So, um, yeah, uh, best of luck. And we're looking forward to see what you do.